The Incomparable. Number 331. December 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. It is time for us to discuss Rogue One, a Star Wars spinoff type story uh, that was released December 16th, which is when we're recording this. Well, released, I mean, except now you can see it like in the late afternoon the day before. But anyway, we have seen it and we are going to talk about it. So I'm joined by a fine panel who is going to help me uh, with our quick reactions to a movie we've, I think, probably only seen once well uh let me know if you've seen it more than once uh and uh just yesterday so uh you know definitely first impressions here uh i am joined by the following fine people as with almost every star wars uh conversation i have i'm joined by serenity caldwell hello hello i'm glad to be here and uh, a little emotionally unstable (laughs) after Watching the movie. Sometimes I just have random conversations with people about Star Wars and I have to call you to get you involved in it because I don't have conversations about Star Wars without you or without John Syracuse. Hello. You know, I've analyzed this podcast, Jason, and there is a danger. Should I have your ship standing by? I'm also joined not by uh, the another person I would usually have here is Dan Morin, but he's traveling, and so it's taken two men to replace him. Monty Ashley is here. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not Dan Morin. <laughs> and Tony Sindelar. <laughs> I'll assume that I will be replaced with Dan Morin via CGI in a kind of ghostly, horrible way. <laughs> That's just a random aside. That's, That's just stra- yeah. Seems seems a little so, bit strange. Yeah. <laughs> Before we dive into the uh, the details of this, I, I thought I would see about getting a little bit of an overview, an opening statement, if you will, but uh, an overview about <laughs> about your general impressions of the movie when you walked out of the out of the theater. I'm kind of curious. Um, I'll, I'll I'll go first with mine, which is to say that I enjoyed it a lot. I found that there are a bunch of things in it worth criticizing because I don't think it was a perfect movie by a long shot. I would say that it was a solid movie with some things that I have issues about. But one of the things that I thought as I was walking out of the theater was it's really nice to be at the point where my expectations for Star Wars movies are so high and that I feel that the franchise is on such sort of... um, legitimate creative ground that it is worthy of criticism that is not just kind of moaning and projectile vomiting so uh you know it's it's that i mean really like i i think that this is this is a substantial and interesting and ambitious movie and while i have some problems with it it's like you know it's not like like i you could say i have problems with the, the prequels but boy um it that is a real understatement. Anyway, that's that's sort of my feeling about this is that I liked it, but I do have some issues that I would like to get into about it too because I I don't I don't have the um I don't think of it as highly as I I thought of the Force Awakens when I walked out of that for the first time. I'll put it that way. Um, other thoughts, Ren? What do you, what was your what was your take walking out of the theater? Yeah, I feel very similarly. This is a Star Wars movie, and it is, or rather, this is a movie in the Star Wars canon, but it is not a Star Wars movie the way that Force Awakens was or the original trilogy, where it in some ways doesn't have the same. I didn't have the same kind of like, oh my god, it has to be on this level and instantly iconic or it will be forever tarnished in the gates of hell or something. Um, No, I walked out of that really 
a little bit emotionally overwrought um, and and hurting, <laughs> um, but also appreciative of what the filmmakers were trying to do. Um, and I and like you said, I I don't think that everything in there was a a grand slam or a success, but I think it was a solid movie. It's a much um, it reminded me a lot of trying to put a uh, a star like the first the first successful Star Wars movie to put a Star Wars book on screen. It felt hmm. it felt very much like the realization of what we all kind of imagined that the Star Wars sequels would be once upon a time, like the oh well they're just gonna film the EU and things go from there. Um, but I, I'm really happy with, with the product that they ended up putting together. Hmm. Monty, what are your, you know, what were your first thoughts about this film when you were walking out of the theater? I cared more about what was going to happen to the characters in this movie than I have for a long time in Star Wars movies or media. And I think that's because I literally didn't know what was going to happen to them. <laughs> in the prequels, I'm going in with a pretty good idea of where <laughs> Obi-Wan and Anakin are going to end up. In The Force Awakens, there was a big twist towards the end that came as a surprise, but not that big a surprise. And even then, it just happened. Here, there was way more, for me anyway suspense and tension and worry about you know is she going to be okay what's going to happen and i found that really refreshing because we're not part as ren said we're not part of the big saga we're off in a corner where it's a different genre of movie and that means the old rules don't apply right we almost got through a movie with no one having a bad feeling about anything he was cut off, right? So yeah. Told to shut up. So, <laughs> Tony, what about you? Uh, I think I came out of it feeling really good about it. Uh, I am uh, a nerd and a horrible person, so I think the first thing I did was like, here's the list of the th six things I don't like about this movie. Sure. Um, which is, you know, maybe not the opposite of a positive way to approach it, but I guess it's like, these are the six things I do not like, because the rest of it I did really like and thought was really great and fun and exciting. And, you know, this is not a short movie, but I was never bored uh, during it, uh, and I was... Uh, and I was also I was sitting in the second row of a movie theater, which I almost never do. And I was like, this may be unpleasant, and maybe I'm going to want to see this again right away uh, because this experience of sitting in the second row will be so awful. Uh, but it was great, and uh, I had a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it. And yeah, Star Wars, Star Wars. John, what about you? What were your thoughts uh, coming out of the theater? I, I avoided spoilers pretty well. I watched the the teaser, and we'll we'll talk more about that later, probably. But uh, but. What it means is that I didn't know the story to this movie other than, you know, hey, they're going to go to Death Star plans and they're going to get them because, you know, we saw that in, in Star Wars. Um, if I had seen the outline of this movie, like, okay, we're thinking of doing this movie. It's going to be the movie where they get the Death Star plans. Here's the outline. Here's basically what happens. I would have been like two thumbs up. That sounds like a great idea. And I still think that like having seen the story, I'm like, this was a good idea for a story, uh, uh, you know. Big and small, not just they should have like a, a movie where they try to get the Death Star plans, but every part of it, every 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 character, every relationship between the character, everything that they're like, I think it is a well-conceived outline. Uh, but like Tony, when I came out of the movie, it was like execution wise, how well did you execute on that outline? And, you know, how did it all hang together? I had many quibbles with it. Um, and I think like uh, Jason will probably uh, say later. I also was hoping for this movie 
to feel more free to diverge from the Star Wars movies. And it definitely did. You know, like Ren said, this is a chance to not have to be, oh, a Star Wars, Star Wars movie. It's a chance to do something different. Um, but my main impression was that I really liked the story. I was, I was, I liked the story. I was excited by the story. I'm excited to see it again. But uh, in many, many aspects of the execution and uh, and many small details, I feel like they just they're just a little bit off center. They just kind of missed the mark. So I came out of it uh, being relieved that it wasn't terrible. Um, but like Jason, I I, I definitely uh, the Force Awakens definitely made a bigger impression on me. Force Awakens was a more important movie, and I. Th- think the force awakens is also a better movie but this movie was good and i'm looking forward to seeing it again yeah best prequel by far though right i, I refuse to call it that <laughs> <laughs> oh boy it did do some of the things that i like about the cartoons the rebels yes. and clone wars yes. shows like you can see what's bad about the empire and what people don't like about having them control having the empire control their planet i mean those shows are about war in a way that this movie is and basically none of the other star wars movies are <laughs> there's a scene that was practically the first scene of star wars rebels yeah oh yeah yeah no i mean it's an evil empire and uh the perspective from the saga movies you don't always see it uh on the scale of the like the people who live in the in the empire and we get we get some of that in rogue one i'm, I'm curious i mean something uh, off of what john just said um, you know, being a Star Wars movie, I I did notice at several points throughout this, like I kept asking myself the question: Is it trying too hard to be a Star Wars movie, or is it trying too hard to not be a Star Wars movie? And I felt like throughout, uh, Rogue One was not entirely sure what it wanted to be. Now, given that this is the first of these that they've made, that is the off-year, not part of the continuing storyline thing, that's not surprising. They, I think, were learning as they went. But it, it did feel, at times, like perhaps the movie was a little afraid of diverging too far from the Star Wars brand, or sometimes I thought perhaps had been pulled back from its original intent in order to keep it from diverging from the brand. And then throughout, you know, I, I, I kept feeling that same kind of question of like, how many references to Star Wars stuff do we put in? One more than everybody wants. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say three of my six quibbles are about that. But I, I mean, I think it walks that line pretty well, and it, it kind of has to walk that line. Uh, I think in part because thematically it feels so different than the other Star Wars movies. And so it's like we have to include all these kind of, you know, potentially annoying fan service things to like remind you like, yeah, this is still the kind of movie that we you want to pay money to be at and see and this is still a star wars movie even if it's going to feel uh very different in terms of like the tone and uh not spending a lot of time looking at a jedi on 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 on, on in every scene and things like that but it's like yeah there'll still be blue milk and the you know that the settings will still look like things and there's stormtroopers everywhere but it, it did feel a little bit like at times it was trying to overcompensate for that and it's like we have to have all the, the star wars props scattered around every every set to remind you this is still a star wars movie even though we're telling stories that are not about jedi and feel kind of different than the, the stories that get told in the other films, at least, though. In the infinite ancillary media, uh, somewhere all Star Wars stories have been told. So, do you, do you think they have to walk that line, though? Because, like you said, like oh, that they have to have this tension between the old and new. I think The Force Awakens had to walk that line, because it's the continuing, you don't want to be too high. Like that, that's what The Force Awakens had to do. This movie was a chance to break completely not from like, yeah, fine, put a prop in there or whatever, but I'm saying like, I, I felt the same tension of like breaking from like 
do you have to feel like a Star Wars movie? Yeah, I mean, I guess this does the like the tokens and the signposts and the the C three PO and R two D two cameo and the the. Uh, cantina creatures cameos whereas uh force awakens is like no we have to have a trench run <laughs> well no I, I don't even mean that like so so this movie, the way this movie started like i thought it, it got off to such a great start because that that's the tension in all of our heads like what's it going to be like to watch a star wars movie that we know is like not supposed to be like a regular star wars movie and the whole thing before was like oh is it gonna have a crawl or whatever it totally seemed like it wasn't gonna have a crawl i was surprised to see a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I was very surprised to see that. I was like, wait a second, am I wrong? Because I, I had been avoiding spoilers or anything about it. So for all I know, the entire engine had known for six months there was going to be a crawl. So they put that up on the screen. I'm like, wait, are they going to do a crawl? And haha, no, they're not. They got gotcha. you. Like they do a little stinger yeah. and they come in. And what do they come in on? They come in on a big gray triangle coming from the top of the screen. It's not a Star Destroyer. It's just a gray triangle made up of the rings with a sh- of a planet with a shadow going over that happens to make a triangle. And you notice that as we swing the camera. And, you know, so they, they did like <laughs> cutting, to, cutting to a planet, cutting to a big gray triangle. Like they were totally like, I know that you know that I know that you're looking for the thing, but I'm going to tell you that this is going to be different. Um, and putting the big words up on the screen for the settings and everything. It was like the movie was trying to assert its independence, like like a, a you know a teenager trying to show that it's ready to be on its own. I did not like that. I hated that. It reminded yeah. me so much of Guardians of the Galaxy in a way that I just really did not appreciate. But it was not Star Wars-ish. Like, did you hate it because it wasn't Star Wars-ish or because you would have hated it in any movie? No, I it just didn't... It wasn't necessary because in every single scene, right, where... In every scene where they put the words up of like, this is this, you know, this is Jetta, they say maybe three <laughs> minutes in, yeah. oh, we're on Jetta. Jetta is the last, you know, full of kyber crystals. It's one of those, it's, it's lazy storytelling where you don't need to put words up of a far off planet on the galaxy. Uh, especially. Some of them were just like, they only have one scene there. They don't need a name. Right. You never need to know the name. Yeah. But I, like, I, yeah. I'm not even talking specifically about the f- whether the words are there. Because I agree. They they didn't need to be there storytelling-wise. I'm just saying stylistically, it was such a statement that they are going to do things differently than Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I said, the movie starting off of subverting those expectations, I thought, okay, this, this is really going to go it on its own. But then it couldn't It couldn't leave the nest. Like It, it wanted to show its parents that it was an independent adult but really it's still a teenager and it would keep circling back to to pull in references and like i mean obviously there's gonna be characters obviously you know i'm not saying like oh you can't have darth vader in this movie because like you know i i'm giving it all of that i'm saying you don't need to bump into what's his face who's wanted a death sentence on 12 systems yeah. or whatever oh. you do not need to bump into him Ponda Baba, he has a name i actually genuinely liked it <laughs> what does he do just bump into people all over the galaxy and pick fights <laughs> yeah. and say the same thing yeah no wonder he's wanted men yeah he's running a con that's his con like he bumps into you and and then his partner shakes you down for money right it's right he says you just watch. the other guy consoles him the butt face yeah. guy consoles him what's his name tony you know clearly P- it's Ponda Baba. Baba and dr uh Avez- I don't know. It's it's spelled funny. It's got a Z in it. I don't know how many syllables are actually in it. And and I think they did most of those pretty well. I'm just saying, like this movie couldn't quite break entirely from it, but but it, you could see that it wanted to stylistically. And, and you know, and I'm trying still speaking in broad terms because when we get into execution, like everything Ren said is totally true. Like execution wise, like you could have in the playing stages in the outline, and we're going to have words on the screen to establish settings, and like okay, well you know that's a stylistic difference. Like you can really set your own tone for the movie. But then if you put those words on a planet that's only shown in one scene that you never need to know the name of, you're blowing it. Yeah. 
Well, and also on top of that, they don't do it for every single planet. And in right. one, they specifically don't put the the tag on because they don't want to give away who you're going to go see on the planet. And I'm like, well, <laughs> well, how many lava planets are there? Yeah, but it's just it's the principle of the thing. Either you're going to label every single planet like Star Trek or Guardians or name a science fiction picture of the last 30 years or you're going to let your audience be smart enough to learn about the planets via dialogue or realize that the planets aren't actually important to know about right. unless you want to read the canon, you know, the canonized novels or the visual dictionary. Or they're so iconic anyway, because like the reason Star Wars doesn't have to label planets is there's a water planet, there's a snow planet, there's <laughs> a lava planet. Like you don't need to label them when they're so incredibly different. It's not as people are going to get confused. Like is is that Scarif or is that Mustafar? I can't I can't tell. Like, it's no need. This is the District 9 planet. This is the Blade Runner planet. <laughs> yeah, and this is the Rain planet. I like that. I love one. Rain planets. My feeling is definitely, though, that, that there is this, uh, yeah, just, just a little bit of tentativeness or, like I said, thinking about, you know, you would think that they would have freedom because this is not a saga movie to go uh, to be different. But at the same time, you know, you're if you're Kathy Kennedy and the other people at, at Lucasfilm, you are stewarding a, an incredibly important uh, brand and you don't want to, I mean, nailing Force Awakens was number one on the agenda, but getting these movies to work is important and you don't want to kind of screw up Star Wars if you can help it. And And I did have those moments where I thought, you know, I don't know whether this is is trying a little too hard to to uh, to be Star Wars or to not be Star Wars. I, I felt a little bit like that with the music, too. Although hearing the story about uh, how little time yeah. Michael Giacchino had to write the music, I'm not sure mm-hmm. I can blame him. But there are several moments early on where there are clearly like, a call, they're clearly calls to reference John Williams Star Wars music and it doesn't happen. It comes close, but it doesn't. And then it's weird because like at the last half of the movie, he just gives up and is totally yeah. referencing all the John Williams <laughs> stuff. And I don't really understand that that either. Like, why didn't you quote it earlier when we really wanted it? And now you're throwing it in there, you know, all the time during the during the last 30 minutes of the movie. I, I, I was baffled by that, too. I'm going to disagree with that, actually, because Jin's theme is pretty much an entire subversion of um, of Amidala's theme, of Padme's theme from Attack of the Clones. And it comes in first five minutes of the movie where it's like I, f- I actually felt like there was a very clear undercurrent of Giacchino's score that felt it felt like a Star Wars movie. It felt like it was a Star Wars score. Um, but it had an attitude that it was distinctly its own. I don't, I, for me, it did not feel like a ripoff of Williams at all or an imitation of Williams. It felt like we are going to live in this universe and we are going to play by the musical rules of this universe, but we are going to compose, you know, things that are distinctly for Rogue One. And you have the same thing with, um, in sort of the closing scenes, you have the, start of the star the you know what you think is the star wars refrain and then it goes somewhere else because we're not there yet we haven't earned that yet i like the music uh referencing you know god help me for saying this but i like the when it was referencing the prequel music which you know I, the, the music from the prequels is one of the few things about that whole set of movies that i actually like like Agreed. you know uncr- uncritically just mm-hmm. really like and when it was referencing Whatever the, whatever the sad music is from episode three, when Anakin's getting all whiny and everything. Referencing <laughs> that uh, later in the movie when we're dealing with Vader, who is semi-newly Vadered, right? I thought that totally worked. Uh, and 
it's a it's a great feat to make me feel a sentimental emotional connection to a series of movies that i hate <laughs> by by referencing the music now granted it's not this score does not stand out on its own and uh and i think in retrospect the force awakens soundtrack has grown in my esteem over time as i suspected it might uh it's not on, on that level i don't think it has to be but i do agree that in the beginning it takes a while to find its footing you don't have to just reference cla- classic themes and have standout themes of your own to do something with the music but i feel like right off the bat from from the uh from the, the the gag of not having the the crawl, the music didn't quite know where to go until, like Ren said, it got into character themes, and those were okay, but there was nothing really iconic. And the only real misstep I think it took, other than not having its own iconic songs and not 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 being as self assured as the Force Awakens again, uh, probably explained by the the change in the composers and the time constraints and everything is. Uh, and this is one of this is a Tony level niggle. I would not have. Uh, I would not have referenced the Imperial March because that's an Empire song and we're not even into A New Hope yet. So don't do yeah. that. Are they worried we wouldn't recognize Darth Vader? <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, that's the Darth Vader music. Yes, but that doesn't come until later. <laughs> that music doesn't exist yet. Yeah, although the prequels reference it, right? Right, but they, they do come after Empire, like in our timeline, you know? It's timey-wimey. Oh, I don't think that's how that works. But uh, No, it okay. does. It totally does. We're the doctor in the scenario. I, I was happy to have the the um, the Empire March in there referenced and then very lightly and then moved away from. I thought that was about the right level that I was expecting um, at the you know, toward the end. When we, but yes, it is. Darth Vader is recognizable at that point. We know what we're going to get there. I don't know. Um let me let me um oh the other thing i wanted to mention here in terms of just talking about this as a new anthology movie is this is a uh, you know star wars take at the marvel approach to movie making of having you know a franchise that just keeps on churning out movies with marvel it's it's more than one a year they're doing a couple a year most years um sometimes they do three but i think on average they do two movies a year i i think the challenge that these um that this movie had this is not actually the challenge for many of these forthcoming announced anthology movies but for this one is that when when a new marvel movie comes out even if it's not a sequel to a previous marvel movie um it has a recognizable set of characters in it it's based on intellectual property that's been floating around for a long time that's had at least some resonance with people in in uh in comics if not previous versions elsewhere um and this you know this movie doesn't have that it has to establish all of these characters from scratch essentially and that's a harder uh job i think than than the job that that uh, a marvel movie would have to do i do also think though that that may be one reason why some classic there was a little more of an emphasis on some classic Star Wars stuff getting shoveled in here just to make people feel like they got their money's worth from a Star Wars universe perspective. Because, um, you know, it's just it's it's easier to say, hey, it's a movie about Doctor Strange than it is to say, well, this is a movie about Jen Erso and, you know, and, and you know, listing all these uh, these characters because they're they're new. It's a, it's a tough job. It's not a job that the Han Solo, young Han Solo movie is going to have to pull off. Getting back to what you said before about the uh, them being a tentative about deciding whether they're going to go off on their own or or uh, or go whole hog into a new thing. Um, I uh, for one, I, w- I want to give them some credit. What I was getting at before with the uh, I don't think we need a spoiler horn. This right? No, it's the, good the, lord. The whole thing is spoiler horn. Yes. Yeah. What I was getting at before with the saying, if I had seen the outline of this movie, I would have given it a thumbs up. Is that they did have the courage of their convictions to make this a story about a desperate mission 
that is essential for the future victory in which every participant dies. Yeah. For the most part, right? And so that that's the outline. And they had the courage to do that, which is not, as many people keep pointing out, because Disney owns them, it's not a Disney-style thing to do. I don't, who cares? Whatever. It's not even a Star Wars thing. to leave, Set Disney aside. It's not a Star Wars thing to do. So they had the courage of those convictions, and but you see the movie being tentative, and it's a shame because in every place where they confidently went for what they wanted to do, I think the execution was better. When they pulled back, like, it's like, you know, whatever you were thinking of doing before, do that because when you do that you you're at your best and when you try to like you know you know we'll talk about this later or maybe now the the trailers with all the different lines in it that people were reacting to the uh the 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 mystery of uh of what what was going to happen with Jin and and her being a, a, a tough character who uh was maybe not as likable and and as hopeful as the the character that we see in the movie her saying i rebel like we reacted to that in the trailer because that was all we had at the time. And I think that fits with the tone of the movie, but instead having her to be a more hopeful character and, and, you know, sort of reframing the movie as, uh, I'm not going to say less dark because it is pretty dark, but like, you know, in the places where they didn't seem to have the courage of their convictions, I think it did them a disservice and they should have trusted, should have trusted themselves and their audience to, go more towards what I think the outline uh, lends itself to, which is a, a darker, more serious movie. And like, like you were saying before, Jason, they have to introduce all these characters, and that is really hard, and I think they didn't execute very well on that. Like, it's it's very difficult. How Look at the poster. The poster's got 17 faces on it. We don't know any of those faces. You have to establish all of them and make us care about all of them. I mean, that's, that's incredibly hard. Even the original Star Wars has, like, four characters they're going to really make you care about, plus some ancillaries. It's... It's a tall order, and I don't think they pulled it off. Um, so, like, yeah, the degree of difficulty of this movie, I think, is higher than it probably should have been for the first anthology, and I think it shows in the execution. But I am happy that where it really counted in the story they put on the screen, um, I, you know, I, I think it, they did a good job. Yeah, that was definitely one of my uh, not quite complaints coming out of the film, but one of the things that I noticed the most blatantly is that this film doesn't have the charisma that force awakens does or that the original trilogies do in terms of developing their core group right you could arguably say that the core members of this story there are like 17 people but the 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 people that were supposed to identify with as leads are Jin, cassian k2 and the two guardians of the wills if you want to add them as ancillary and I think they did a decent job at fleshing them out to the point where we want to care about them, um, but they miss the mark at turning them into a, more than that, where there's a lot – Jin is such a hard character to flesh because it's really it's really hard to explain PTSD childhood trauma in an hour and a half when you also have to, you know, steal Death Star plans. Um, but a lot of the dialogue, I don't know, for me, it just wasn't hitting the way that it needed to, uh, where there were some lines that, that resonated, but a lot of the early stuff, especially, just felt like we were checking off expository boxes, where it's like, oh, yeah, so where's the, where's that spy that we need to meet, and where are we going now? And rather than, like, there's not, the only person bantering in the first third of the movie was Chirrut Inway and K2. And which, <laughs> while I appreciated it, I like I wanted to see something between Cassian and Jin that sets up 
Act Two and Act Three. Yeah, I I got a huge kick out of Chirrut complaining that they were putting a bag over the head of a blind person. <laughs> yeah, that got uh, a they, laugh. they blew that one by making him say, "I'm blind." Like you don't need the last part. We get it. Like that you want you want people to do the one two count and figure out why he's saying, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, you can edit it, but I I laughed the way it was. Yeah. so I don't have that big a complaint. Yeah, about I mean, I, like here's here's the thing about uh, about the the character charm and the dialogue very uneven because there were moments where this was definitely the force awakens level a lot of k2's interactions oh, that yeah. were just like they they were elevated way above like wow this is amazing stuff and then uh, like ren said uh, then there would be people explaining uh plot points mechanically to each other mm-hmm. uh, and the, the thing that killed me the most about the uh, the repeated explaining of who has to do what so that we understand what's going on, which, again, it's a hard thing to do when you have all these moving pieces and these characters you've got to figure out and then all these complicated plot. Like, I'm not saying it's easy, right? When movies do this well, um, and, and the one I keep thinking of recently, which I know some people don't even like this movie, but I, I think, still think it did a really good job of having a lot of characters, each of which has given something, uh, was Civil War, Captain America Civil War. Granted, we know all those characters already, so it's a little easier to create difficulty, but they had so many characters and so many people going through their own little miniature stories, and every one of them got two sentences to establish something and to make us care about them and to think they're charismatic and to relate to them emotionally, and they pulled it off much much better than they did in this movie. But uh, yeah, but anyway, um, the thing that really killed me when they, when they had these people giving these lines of dialogue is that I thought this movie... The live action, just like the settings, the way this movie was shot was amazing. I loved how everyone looked wet Ugh. and dirty yeah. and tired and everything was dark, but not too dark. Like, and it killed me to see these beautiful actors and these beautiful scenes and these di- like it was so beautiful to look at. And they're saying she has to put slot A into tab B and then I have to do the whatever. I'm like, oh, God, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like it just if you just put on mute and watch it, you're like, this movie is beautiful. Like, I was so happy with how this movie was shot. And so unhappy with some of the not bad dialogue, but just like not sparkling Wouldn't. dialogue. And it, you know, yeah. I think it, it was hard. There's definitely a, the characters definitely do not come across as as charming. And I mean, I think a lot about uh, Cassian, who is kind of your uh, Han Solo analog here, uh, except like basically the first thing they do is establish that like no, this guy is not a. I mean. He's a good guy nominally, but he is not a smuggler with a heart of gold. He, he shoots first. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that when you're done. <laughs> he and he do, he does not shoot a bounty hunter. He shoots like his contact information guy who is about to who's basically inconveniencing him with his existence. Well, right? it's, it's the thing he has to do for the rebellion. It's not an inconvenience. He's not heartless. Right. Yeah. He just he's knows he's been doing this so long that it's like if I don't shoot this guy, he's going to get captured because I can't save him. So it's just a quick decision. Got to get rid of him. That's the second thing. That's first. He shoots the stormtroopers yeah. first. You think, oh, so this is a guy who shoots first. And, oh, no, this is a guy who shoots his allies because he has to. Because they're a liability. I feel like that was actually a direct response to people saying how much they wanted Han to shoot first. Yeah. So that they could show him later on decide not to shoot first after being lectured about it. And then we see Tarkin destroy a city of his own people. So, he's, so they're saying, no. Bad people shoot first. Well, not bad people. Like this whole this whole movie is there, and the rebels are in a desperate situation. It's a series of hard choices, and that actually, like a lot of the rebellion, is these people who have lived these horrible, like oppressed lives and are now like. 
they are soldiers, they are mercenaries, they're spies, and I mean, they're, assassins. Ter- they're terrorists, basically. I mean, Saw is the, the best example. They are not Luke Skywalker showing up in his white shirt being like, I'm fresh from the farm, let's, let's you know, like, yeah. he gets to be that. But, like, there's got to be 50 other people behind him who are like, yeah, I murdered five people because they, they wiped out my family five years ago. The important character arc of the movie is Andor learning that you can't do that. Like, I think the pivotal scene is when Jin confronts him and says, you're just shooting people because you were told to, you might as well be a stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the movie is taking a position right there that if you're the good guy, you don't do that. Right. Right. And and she's getting the, he's getting that lesson from her and she's supposed to be this, you know, troublemaker who they've just, you know, recruited because they have to because she's related to the person they need to to get information about and all of that. And yet she's the one who's saying you, you aren't doing, you know, you aren't doing this right. You're not being the good guy here. But it was muddled though, because there was, there was that message, but there was also the overall, like the rebellion. I do it for the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. No, the the rebellion doesn't have a chance in this movie. The rebellion, like in, in, in a new hope, you know, it's, it's the underdog versus the overdog. In this thing, the rebels aren't even the underdog. They don't even look like they're in the fight. It looks like, They've lost before it's even begun. Uh, they they think they've lost before it's begun. And they're turning they're on like, each other. Yeah, they're right? squabbling yeah. these they're, factions within right. themselves. They're not right? even a unified front. What are they going to do about the Death Star? They don't. Their intelligence is terrible. They really don't know what's going on. They're obsessed with killing Galen, which doesn't even matter. And they don't know it doesn't matter because yeah. their intelligence is bad. And this movie is about, like, where did the rebellion come on? There would have been no rebellion if not for this one mission with Rogue One. This is, this is the, you know, the Empire would have won if not for these people. And they sacrificed themselves in their entirety for their own individual personal reasons to do this. That's one story. And the separate story is if you're working for the rebellion and become as bad as the Empire, you know, you're just the same as a stormtrooper. And I think they didn't work at cross purposes, but they didn't, they didn't pick one of them and really hammer it home, which they could have. Because you could have had this movie be like, well, the rebels were going to win anyway, but the real lesson they learned was that you can't, you can't win at all costs because it will cost you, you know, it will cost you everything you're fighting, fighting for. And the other angle would have been, uh, you have sacrifices necessary. And the only way for, to victory is, is on, uh, you know, on the backs of tons and tons of dead people. Yeah, unfortunately, Andor is the only one that learned the lesson I like, and he does not pass it along to anyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got yeah. caught up on the other lesson, which is everybody dies. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about the the characters a little bit more before we go on to talk to the other things, since we're already kind of in there. Um, I think um, I, 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 you mentioned K two S O Serenity, um, Alan Tudyk, who has played both a pilot and a robot in previous films, gets to play a <laughs> robot pilot in this one. Typecast. You know, go with what you know. He he had the necessary <laughs> paperwork. Honestly, I think K two S O steals the movie at many points. And oh, yeah. of the ten like audience wide laughs in this in, yeah. in my screening, nine of them were K two S O. So the other was. Seriously, I'm blind. That was the other joke. But everything else was a K2SO line that made people laugh out loud, including me. Alan Tudyk stole my stole Moana, and he doesn't have any dialogue aside from chicken squawks. He's very talented. <laughs> he's a very good, very talented guy. He's a great chicken. He's a great robot. He's a great pilot. He's the whole package. Money, that's what they call a triple threat. So, <laughs> I like the design of the robot. I like I like the or the droid. I like the I like the eyes. Like the eyes are really expressive. Yeah. And um, there there are several um, the physicality of him because he's big and he's fast. He runs at one point. Yeah. He's really fast. Um, he bops mm-hmm. that one guy on the head. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Yeah, he's he's so much more athletic than the droids yeah. we're used to seeing. Right. Normally, yeah. I mean, you've got. The stumpy mm-hmm. ones from the 70s that couldn't be athletic. He's a tactic droid. Yeah. 
you've got you got C-3PO, which is human shaped because you had to have a person in a suit. But we're not constrained by those things. So he is he is more like cat like and and agile and big and muscular looking. And it makes me really think, why why did the Empire get rid of those? Like by the time new, a New Hope comes around, you don't see those guys running around so much. They, that's a good design. It's because some dummy destroyed the city that has yeah. all their plans for <laughs> yeah. everything. Maybe uh, they're yeah. Operation Black Saber. We can't do that anymore, Tarkin. Black Saber got destroyed. Yeah, the wisdom of, <laughs> of storing all of your files on one. Although I got I to gotta hand it to the, um, the Imperial uh, bureaucrat who said, okay, I'll tell you what. I will build you your storage archive with all the hard drives <laughs> on it. I will do that. That will be my job. I will build that. But I'm going to tell you where we're going to build it. On a tropical island. That's where we're going to build it. And they're like, all right, fine. You got a deal. Do that. And also, all of your things are going to be... Do you like bottomless chasms? Because I like yes. bottomless chasms. I like walkways <laughs> with no railings, and I like bottomless chasms, or at least really, really deep To ones. which they say, look at who you're talking to. There's a design spec for the Empire, and they stick to it, <laughs> That's right? right. You right. know? It's a style guide. Yeah. yeah. Tra- tractor beam switch. Can you put that over a really deep chasm on a little Imagine cylinder? Imagine a chasm full of hard drives, full of all the Imperial data. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yes. She said, yes. I don't even understand where would you keep hard drives if not a chasm. Like, that's yeah. just... I don't understand where where else would they be <laughs> right exactly they had and they have the cool robots to go get them They're like yeah. I, I know how we can solve this problem we'll have a we'll have a remote control robot get them that you pilot with these little sticks does that sound fun <laughs> what are you suggesting that they would be like network to each other that's not a thing no. <laughs> at so. least they have a sheet of safety glass between you and the chasm unlike oh, yeah. the, the two or two poor jerks on the death star that have to work in the channel that the, the, the laser <laughs> register goes through, I always feel bad for them. They have strict instructions to lean away. That radiation can't oh. be good for you. They, they've been in there since the first movie, and I always feel bad. Monty, it was a long time ago. Railings <laughs> hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> so you mentioned um, the Death Star uh, engineering and uh, Galen Erso, Jin's father, played by Mads Mikkelsen. And I had that thought as we were watching the movie that, first off, so, and not to go too far down the path of, of uh, all the Star Wars references that we're going to have to talk about at some point, but it turns out the reason that there's this single horrible flaw in the Death Star <laughs> is because uh, a, a guy who was who quit because he didn't want to work for the Empire and was forcibly dragged back after they shot his wife, um, uh, he built a, a flaw into the Death Star on purpose, but I thought at the end, it's like, oh wow, so it turns out Mads Mikkelsen saved the galaxy. He's yeah. the one who was the hero all along. Well, it's a team effort. Like, he doesn't... Yeah. Him doing it on its own, he also have to get the plans you also have to get the guy to yeah. use the force to shoot the thing into it because it's not easy to hit and how yeah, many rebel soldiers had to hand that disc from one person to the other before it gets yeah, dark yeah, too it's, a, it's really it takes a village it was a bloodbath of a sneaker now yeah. yeah like that that plot point though with uh with galen um first of all the, the plot point of intentionally putting a flaw in it i don't think is cheesy as all i think it makes perfect sense yeah. because th- this movie is entirely about uh people's relationship to the empire whether you're all into it or you're kind of into it or you're totally against it the different you know the ranges and I, this is wasn't in the movie uh, like so many other things but i imagine a relationship between krennic and galen i imagine they're college buddies yeah like yeah, they were friends buddies. before the empire krennic totally cheated off of galen on exams oh you yeah know? those guys are good enough actors the second they're on screen together you can tell oh they've got a history yeah right and i and they're like you know and they just diverged because you know he, he decided he couldn't be part of the empire and they get like that that is such a great i thought that was a a great uh way to explain 
it, rather than just having like an engineer who's just on its own, on his own and being like, I, I decided I don't like the Empire. I'm going to put a flaw in the thing to have him have a personal relationship. And the split from the Empire mirrors his personal split because they're they're one and the same because of the different paths they've taken in life. And to have him pulled back in in this violent way and to save his daughter. And I mean, they put a put a pin on it by saying, just remember everything I do would do for you. Like, you don't need to. Again, yeah. I think that was too much. But uh, but I. His motivation and this plot point, even though it connects directly to A New Hope in a way that some people might complain about, I think is is beautiful and perfect. And it's a it's an example. We talked about the Star Wars Travis address. This is an example of an excellent retcon with a really good, again, in outline form, with a really good character and motivation that I think is uh, a reasonable adult look at, at, at the world rather than a fairy tale story. And I like the idea, and you said it, John, thematically – um, about your relationship with the Empire, Galen Erso is given a choice, right? His, but his choices are basically: we kill you, uh, you, you become a collaborator, or you know, the middle is what he chooses, which is to act like a collaborator, act like I'm, I'm totally up with the Empire, and you know, work secretly to hinder it at every at every stage or build a and, and it keeps his daughter alive because they're not going to be hunting for his daughter to blackmail him if he looks like he's like well i'm back on board guys like oh we don't need to go get your daughter and hold her hostage because you're doing all the things you're supposed to yeah good job meds mickelson except for his wife seemed really like angry and i, I don't know what she was doing well, there. that's, she, that's where jen gets it from right yeah she's a little yeah. impulsive yeah if you go uh with the idea that orson and galen are, are buddies or clearly have some history um, and Orson seems pretty, pretty darn committed to making Galen work on this project. You'd think that might put some strain on their family life. And I think we even kind of get a hint of that because there's that scene where they're like they're on Coruscant or something, right? And the and he's he's there like drinking with them, right? And it's like he is he is present and intruding on their family life in this little kind of flashback, mm-hmm. right? Um, I did think uh, in that scene, it's like those stormtroopers, like we know that there is like, they can stun people, but they don't care. They will murder someone in front of, uh, they will murder someone's yeah. wife in front of them to make a point, even though, yeah, we can stun you and bring you along, but no, that but doesn't, that's not we're, 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 we're extra evil black stormtroopers. We, we don't do that. <laughs> we're going to torch this farm after we shoot you, shoot you. You know, with the empire, it's a chain of pain that goes all the way up to the emperor. And so uh, one of the things I like about this movie is how, we see, you know, Krennic come to bring Galen Erso back. But then we see Krennic, who is um, the guy who has been in charge of basically building the Death Star or the Death Star weaponry or whatever. But, I mean, he's basically like his career has been uh, building this Death Star. And, you know, he, he gets jerked around by the uh, by the Empire and by Tarkin. And he goes to complain about it to Darth Vader. And I, I think Krennic <laughs> not is... Not sympathetic. No, who's not sympathetic. <laughs> all, but I think that's kind of funny. Jason, are you saying that the, the real Sith is toxic bureaucracy? Is that what you're saying? I'm d- well, I'm saying they're going hand in hand, Tony. They work together. He's bad at office politics. That's his problem. Like, yeah. Tarkin and yeah. Vader are both better at office politics. Yeah. Totally. Also, isn't is. Tarkin... Isn't Tarkin Vader's boss? Vader has more is more politically savvy. Yeah, Va- so that's Vader's why he's connected to, to the Emperor. Tarkin Tar- Tarkin's really not Vader's boss, right? Tar- Tarkin's a military guy, and Vader's a free agent who works for the Emperor. Vader's so. not part of the command structure, right? Yeah. He is right. the like he is the representative of the Emperor until he's conveniently outside the Death Star when it explodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about Tarkin really quick? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's make it happen. I did yeah. not care for that. That looked like Peter no. Cushing. It sounded like Peter Cushing. Did it. But 
whenever he's talking, I'm thinking that's not Peter Cushing. It was too much, right? Like at first when yes. it was like the face and the reflection, I was like, okay. But then yeah. like he kept being there and it's like, nah. <laughs> they, had the, they had the face and the reflection in the glass and then they cut around and he says a line and I thought, wow, that they did a pretty good job there. And, the, and, that, and that was it. Thought? And then I did, I did for that very first, like the one line and then it kept going. There's a couple where he moves, where it doesn't And he look, was moving yeah. and I thought, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> the way to do this was to give us a very little so we're like oh i see what you got there and by the time you start to think about the uncanny valley and pondering whether peter cushing's estate was contacted and all of those things <laughs> how do how do you pay a dead man we, we've yeah. moved we've moved along well by all accounts the woman who is in charge of his estate was brought in and they signed things and she went to the premiere and all these things but but anyway i i, I think you're exactly right which is a little bit of this would have been cool and I would have been totally on board but I feel like there was maybe maybe some hubris there where they're like no no this is so perfect we can just have him on screen and we're going to zoom uh, in not, and see him close hubris. up I, and, I, uh, I think well this is my thought this is my, my main my main uh, execution complaint about the movie coming out of it immediately and my yeah. the thought that was just ringing in my head as I exited the theater is they didn't pull it off because yeah. you know but, but like like the mission like they did pull off the mission they did get the plans out right but um, but everybody died. I think it's John. hubris. I think it's. I think. <laughs> I think the idea is. Uh, I've I've been lobbying for this forever on podcasts about and a lot of the ones where we talk about Pixar and other things. Photorealistic humans in a live action movie made entirely in a computer are a thing that's going to happen probably while most of us are alive. Yeah, certainly. Or maybe just Ren. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And well. the only way and the only way you're going to get there is by trying. And if no one ever tries, you're not going to get at it. So in some respects, I applaud ILM for having the guts. To try to do this, I, I don't agree. call it hubris. I call it, I call it, you know, in Apple parlance, courage, like bravery, courage. Um, like I, I give them full marks. <laughs> Shouldn't somebody at some point have said, "This is too much. Uh, we're we're breaking the illusion here." I mean, because they they should have tried it and then back. I mean, I think he probably should have had one less scene, and he should have had one scene where he was a hologram, you know, phoning in his, yeah, his yeah. meeting. Well, I, I, uh-huh. I feel like if if you always do it that way, like that's not trying it. If you always do it that way, if you always hide your, if you do like what special effects artists always do, which is hide your weaknesses, put the thing in the dark. How many assistants do you need to see cut in half on the stage, John? <laughs> so. They made a bold just like it's it's a perfect analogy for this movie right they 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 had they had a bold mission probably you know ill-advised but definitely courageous and and uh unlike the people like like the people in this movie they all died (laughs) like they were they but the people in the movie got the plans out and these guys didn't so i kind of give them marks for bravery but they absolutely positively did not pull it off as as far as i'm concerned what what i'm holding what i'm hedging about is when regular people see this movie will they notice and if they notice, do they care? My question is, anybody who doesn't know who Peter Cushing is and doesn't realize that that's supposed to be CG, doesn't realize that, you know, that he died, I wonder if they notice. Because, I mean, I notice as somebody who's a CGI nerd and likes looking for special effects and we notice because we know peter cushing is dead and it's super weird do it on someone who's not super famous (laughs) but yeah of course but i think about it from a perspective of like we are seeing more and more augmented humans um in marvel movies especially uh even heck the preview that of the previews of the rogue wanna screening that i attended had the uh the new pirates of the caribbean 
trailer and the the new villain with that is like his face is half floating off and clearly there's a lot of CG there. So we're we're seeing more and more um partial or full CG characters and I wonder how much of this is we know this character and it's blatantly obvious to us and blatantly weird and how much of it is hand waving most people won't notice it. I don't know what everybody just said in the last five minutes, but I just went and talked to my son nice. and he had no awareness at all that that was a CGI character. I find it so hard to believe that people won't know this something off. Maybe they won't know it's CG, but like that, that's what I'm saying when they didn't pull it off. Like it doesn't, it, not that it doesn't look like Peter Cushing. It doesn't look like a human being. And that's, <laughs> that's a problem. Like that's, that's a big problem. I think other people didn't notice. I think it is, it's, it's jarring to us because we know he's dead and that it's, and then, and it's like, we know this is a magic trick and now we're looking for where the seams are. But it's not because he's dead. Like if you did it with a live person, like you know, uh, here's the, here's the d- distinction. I think the, the young, uh, Robert Downey Jr. In, uh, whatever that was in where he was young, uh, uh, civil war, maybe. Yeah. Probably civil, civil war. war that I would say regular people won't notice. And even though it looked off to us, it, it passed muster, even though it looked awkward and nerds know about it and it wasn't quite right. I think it passed muster with regular people. I feel like this, even if people don't know what's off and even if they have no idea who Peter Cushing is or who he, this character is supposed to be, it didn't pass muster. Jason's son is wrong. Got it. It's not just the visuals, which is what makes this difference from the Robert Downey Jr. or the Pirates of the Caribbean example. That's not a Peter Cushing voice performance. It's somebody imitating Peter Cushing and they're not as good an actor as Peter Cushing. And that bothers me as someone like you might not notice it's wrong, but you're being deprived of a genuine Peter Cushing performance, which would be better. And second, even if they had done it perfectly, I think doing it that much in the movie undercuts the Princess Leia reveal at the end of the movie, because we've already gotten used to the idea of CGIing up people's 1977 performances. Yeah. Although the Princess Leia one, like, again, if you wanted to do it just a one scene, she was on briefly enough, but man, did, did it not, it, it did not come off. And, and like, here's the worst thing about this. They didn't choose to do this for all, uh, like, Mon Mothma showed the alternative. And the alternative is fabulous. Like, if they got an actor who looked kind of like Peter <laughs> Cushing, but not really, I would have accepted it because I understand it's a movie and I understand the Mon Mothma actor is, you know, 40 years older and, you know, or maybe she's not alive. I don't even know. Like, I accept that it's not going to be this in the same way you accept in a movie when they have like a kid actor and then an adult actor and the kid doesn't look like they would grow into the adult actor. You accept it because you're like, well, it's a movie. We can't reverse age our, you know, our star to be young and we don't can't do a boyhood thing because we don't have that kind of schedule. Right. You just accept it. So if they had just merely taken somebody and he's got such an iconic look like Tarkin is so iconic all you need is the hairline and the outfit and and you know and put him on screen for less time it would have worked fine they chose not to do that not not because I think of hubris but because they wanted to be daring it's a it's a, it's a mild line you know and so I give them full marks for that but it is absolutely the the least successful movie magic in this movie hmm. I think there might be more Tarkin in this movie than there was in the original Star Wars. Right. Yeah. And by the way, what was wrong with it, I think, is, well, two things. One, I know you can do stills now that will fool regular people easily. They take a long time to render, but you can do them. But animating a person's face talking, uh, first of all, I don't know if the stills passed, uh, would pass muster this because these stills look a little bit plasticky to me. I don't know if they use like the, the most advanced subsurface scattering for the skin or whatever, but I don't feel like the stills pulled off with it. But the way his mouth moved, if anyone knows, you know, like you just look at it, it's like, that's not a human being's mouth. It's close to one, but I look at it and it looks like, 
uh, computer graphics. And so the areas where it falls down are not so much it didn't look right or whatever, but it doesn't move right. And that is so much harder to do than just looking right, which is why you can get away. You could have got away with the layer reveal where if she says her lines when her face is obscured and then they just rotate around and she doesn't have to say anything. You can pull that off pretty convincingly. They didn't, but you could. I'm pretty sure the Leia um, stuff is actually composited found footage and not full CGI. I think I could identify which scene they used it from, but she wasn't saying hope at the time, so they had to tweak her lip a little. It's complicated, right? Because it's it's face replacement and, you know, or it's a 3D model. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to do this, right? I mean, I, I think I think the Tarkin, there was an actor acting as Tarkin and then they it's, did a, was. you know, face replacement with a, a, a model. And I was super happy to see Leia. That was 100% worth it for me. I loved that ending. I don't know that Tarkin was worth it because he wasn't really... Yeah. Well, you had to do for the office politics. You, you needed someone for, for uh, Krennic to be uh, you needed the unsatisfying boss relationship for Krennic yeah. to be to have have problems at work with his boss where he doesn't feel like he is he is uh, he's appreciated and his boss is taking credit for his accomplishments and he's under pressure to do things which is a surprisingly common dynamic in movies these days especially Star <laughs> Wars movies um, <laughs> what do you say you needed that there but then like who would Krennic's boss actually be it has to be Tarkin he's the yeah. one who's in charge he of drives the Death, the Death Star, Star yeah. Yeah. that's true all right I guess it does have to be Tarkin and not Grand Moff's Teddy lesser Moff Bob <laughs> the, the guy who gets choked in the in the in the meeting with the coffee uh okay so let's talk about other references to Star Wars now um there are lots that Yevin 4 lookout on his tiny perch I love that guy <laughs> I do love that guy, guy he's just got to point that thing at the ships except for the ships that aren't supposed to be leaving I'm not pointing anything at that guy he's not even supposed to leave <laughs> you got the uh blue milk I laughed mm-hmm. at the blue milk. I thought that was funny. It's just there. It's just there. They're just, they're drinking. They got some milk. They, they just leave it out. Yeah, like, whatever. I guess it does, it's shelf stable. It's I don't the blue. Know. It's the blue, John. The blue keeps it stable. I like how even on, even on this lush green planet, they still build their houses like underground, like they're on Tatooine. You've got Jimmy Smits, who is, has stuck around from the prequels and seems yeah. determined to commit to this franchise. Good to see mm-hmm. him. <laughs> yeah. Another, like, and they pulled another good thing, like a thing that I actually, you know, yeah. it, uh, they, they extracted the tiny bits of value that they could from the prequels. <laughs> Reference the music, which was good, and Jimmy Smith. He was a good lad. Everybody dad. loves Bring Jimmy Smith. Yeah. yeah, I was just worried. I was like, you should not be on this base. That's not going to like. You should be out like getting reelected. Uh, if they like, if there's there's like a scandal where you're caught on this base and like a paparazzi photo, you're in trouble. So does he get elected? His daughter's a princess. Yeah, he's but he's a senator. a senator. I don't understand Look, how that it's works. Confusing. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know how Padme is a queen who got elected. Yeah. I'm suggesting that Baylor again is a senator. Who inherited For life. the position? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's something royal family, something something. Yeah, isn't it a little weird that they named the, that Leia is a princess when her mom was the queen? And is that it? Was that just a coincidence? But that's probably. T- for another podcast <laughs> they didn't want to give her a downgrade when the adoption yeah. is like well you were born to this level we need to it needs to be a lateral move <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of people and a lot of cultures in the star wars universe as some phrases translate better than others from you know corellian to alderanian to to whatnot you know but i did like jimmy smith that was always one of those interesting characters of like you know bail organa the idea that it's like who raised leia and he's on alderaan when it blows up and all of that um also mon mothma th- that that woman played mon mothma in in, uh, episode three, although I think it was mostly cut out, <laughs> so they're, 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 it's two episode three actors there having scenes together, which is kind of fun. 
It's the most fun thing to come out of episode three. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't really need C-3PO. I mean, no. it's nice to see him, but I've seen him a lot. Or R2-D2. I, I thought that was unnecessary, other than to say, and they're here too. Everybody's I, here. Or put, yeah. put them in the background or something, you know, like. They don't need lines. They don't need to be like in the corner of the screen with his hand on top of his head like they're on the Star Wars storybook cover. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, too much. What else? Darth Vader. Lots of Darth Vader. What do people think about no. the use of Darth Vader here? You forget how different his uh, New Hope uh, getup is than Empire because mm-hmm. I feel like Empire is the iconic one and they didn't change it much for Jedi. But the New Hope one had like the red eyes and the weird neck thing and the like the, like the, the more gaudy. It was like you know, the chest plate looks a little bit more simple and less exciting. Right, they didn't have the budget basically in the, for the first movie. In the second movie, you could you know, but it was so nice to see that. And the thing that fascinates me about Vader is you know, granted, I've only seen this movie once. I'm pretty sure that certain portions of Vader when he's on screen are CG. But because he's all black and shiny, I can't tell exactly which know. ones yeah, are CG. Yeah. Like, because they can do that so well in CG that even when I'm looking for him, like, all right, so was the whole body CG at this point, or just just the gloves, or was the helmet? Because mm-hmm. they're so good at replacing. Like, they did with BB-8 in, in in the Force Awakens, where they had the BB-8 puppet, and they were like, nah, just replace the puppet head with the CG head. It's you've already got the real footage. There's nothing in the way of it. It's your full, full detail prop. But you think it would look a little better. You'd have a little bit more control with CG. So just entirely mask over the physical head with a CG head that looks exactly the same. And I, you know, I, when I see it as a second time, I'm going to look at it. But I, I thought Vader looked awesome, and he was he what he he was what he needed to be. He was the Vader from A New Hope. There is no other Vader. I totally disassociate him from those other <laughs> movies. This is the Vader I wanted to see. Yeah. I love this Vader and his his triumphant his triumphant his 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 scene in the hallway at the end. I could just put that in a loop yeah. and just watch it. Yeah. All day. Mm-hmm. I was hoping for no Darth Vader coming in because I was hoping this would be as distinct from the regular Star Wars movies as possible. But I loved seeing him. And I realized it's because we've spent so much time humanizing <laughs> Anakin with the prequels, which I personally do not hate, or the cartoons, which I really like. But the heck with those guys. This is the Darth Vader that's cool. The wheezing, <laughs> right. evil James Earl Jones voice. And I was really happy to see him. He has a uh, like a dark tower in Lava Land. Mustafar. That, that was from uh, Empire. For mm-hmm. the story idea for Empire was that uh, you know it was going to be Darth Vader's castle. It's in the original Lee Brackett screenplay. Yeah, right. Darth Vader's castle and the, the sketches of it look similar to what's there. And it was such a weird idea for Empire because like you you have him in a new hope and you're like okay well Empire we get to see where Darth Vader lives and it's a cool castle. It's like yeah no we're not going to do that. <laughs> to have that come back to be before a new hope with a, with a like with a prequel mm-hmm. tie in. That was first of all. That was a hell of a pad. Who would not like the giant black castle on the lava planet with your own back to tank and and your own like servants and stuff? He's got a great setup. There. Oh yeah. I wondered a little bit. It's like, do you do you want to live right next to a lava pool? Like, I mean, what what is your what is Darth Vader's like emotional feelings about lava? He's in a dark mood. I, I feel like this is this is the you know if I want to connect it to the prequels, I say he's coming out of the prequels. He's still a little bit grumpy. <laughs> About yeah. about how that went down. It's living down the prequels, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, and and like if you want to ignore the prequels and just be like, this is after the, his fight with Obi Wan by, by the pool of lava, which we were talking about in you know in the eighties, right? But you don't have to pretend it's the prequels. Just say that happened, and he's grumpy about it, uh, and he's he's resting on this planet, and he's gonna come back into his own after he gets healed up or whatever, and he's pissed now. And that's that's the guy who breaks through, you know, the the blockade runner at the beginning of A New Hope. He's he's big. He is angry and uh, and he's really powerful. I liked his uh, I liked we get that you know brief shot of him in the back to tank 
Um, I think that's really cool just, to, uh, you know, as a parallel to catching a glimpse of him from behind. Yeah, I thought they were going to do yeah. that. They're going to have the big the big egg thing. After the after the movie was over, we were walking out and, and um, my wife said that she she wished she could imagine my son making the comment. But he's too old now to make that comment, which is Darth Vader's bathroom is really weird. <laughs> you got to see Darth Vader's bathroom. It's great. It's like his office. They're kind of creepy. Put your put your stuff on Darth Vader. But I liked I liked that as a as a reminder and as an echo of Empire. That was a lot of that was a lot of fun to see. I was glad he was facing backwards, so I didn't have mm-hmm. to see them try to put Hayden Christensen's face yeah. on him. So I could further yes. emphasize in my own mind mm-hmm. this is the real Darth Vader. Yeah. What else? What other references did, did were you struck by in the stormtroopers talking about the T thirteens? T thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Well, the T-15s. They say it's the T-15 because it's the T-16 is next, right? We, uh, yeah. Was it? I have so gratuitous. And we, and we yeah. did, you know, the X-Wing squadrons is the other thing, right? With all their stickers and helmets and, yeah. We see the old Red 5 get blown Blue up. Squadron. Blue Squadron gets yeah. destroyed. The Blue Squadron checks in. It was like, I, I tell you, I, I, it felt like someone kicked me in the chest. In the <laughs> Blue Squadron? There's no... Oh! Don't get attached. Yeah. Don't yeah. get attached. And you look at them as all these blue ships uh, and you're like... All of them, all there, and then, yeah, <laughs> it was it was balanced off by Red Five disappearing. I'm like, well, you're just freeing up that slot. Yeah, <laughs> well, we need a new Red Five later. That was that was the uh, Blue was Squadron. Fun. It was just were, were people surprised by the the scope of the of the um of the space battle because that in, in in a gritty war film I didn't expect a big space battle. I was completely surprised. I did not think there would be any. I, yeah. I was I was delighted by it. Yeah. That was good. It was a really good space battle. You there was good geography. It, which I know mm-hmm. that sounds weird, but it's like so easy in a lot of these uh, movies with space battles to like not quite sure whether like we understand where everybody's going or what you know what they're doing or or uh, you know what the objectives are. But with that kind of the ring with the like planet wide force field with the little ring you could pass through, which I, I liked, I like that as a conceit, and that they're trying to get th- you know break through it or get through it before it closes. Which was there was that cool scene where it closes and the X wings mm-hmm. bounce off of the shield, which I really liked. And slide they bounce and slide Half of the blue squadron bounces I mean, it's off. it's a yeah. pretty cr- crazy battle where you have like you have the, the, you know Jin is w- working her way up the tower and then you have the other people in different places on the beach doing different mm-hmm. things and then you've got the people running air support on the beach and then the people above who are doing the different things and you have the fighters and the capital ships but it didn't feel like i didn't feel lost or confused right right no, like it felt like it, was it, very fa- well it fit shot. together um, I was a little confused about, like, what's the Rebellion's plan here? Like, you guys put a lot of resources into Yeah, well, that's the thing. They don't really have much of a plan. And, like, the, and the, again, the... I'm willing to believe, like, yeah, they don't know what they're doing yet. Yeah, right? the Rogue like, One was yeah. just going there, like, we're just going to go. Like, her, she basically, her speech was like, we're going to go until all of us die, uh, yeah. which is your first hint that maybe all of them will die. Uh, and then the other people are like, uh, uh, we should uh, go help. And they just show up with yeah. their ships. And Well, isn't there even kind of like a thing where, like, is, I forget if it's Blue Squadron, but, like, the squadron of X-Wings is going to go help. And then they're like, well, if they're going, everyone's going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's it's totally, it fits with the rest of the disorganized rebellion and the yes. fact they're, that they're not unified. Mm-hmm. And they all just go and they show up and they, they don't do well. Like, they, they, they basically get, they lose most yeah. of their ships, huge numbers of people. The only reason that is any remote success is because... You know, that one ship gets away with Princess Leia and the plans on it, and, you know... And was even, like, I think Red Leader or Blue Leader was a general, and I was like, you should not put your general in a yeah. fight. Yeah. Like, that's not... Yeah. A they were all there. Like, they all... Yeah. Like, every one of their well, ships all, showed up. Yeah. 
There were a like, lot where of are all generals. these ships in A New Hope? Oh, I see where they are. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. Leia isn't a general yet, but she's going to be a general real soon. Real soon. Yeah, it's the, su- the succession planning. It's like, well, everyone above me mm-hmm. is dead, so I guess uh, yeah. I'm I guess charge. I'm a general yeah. now. That's that's not an elected position. Um, mm-hmm. The geography also, I wanted to mention the um, geography continues to get... So you, the, the Death Star is there, and we also get those cool shots of them like looking down on the planet destruction as they... As they uh, fire the one, just the one reactor uh, yeah, blast out of there, and then uh, of course they say Darth Vader will take care of them, and so the the last bit of that fight is they're oh. they're on their way out, and Darth Vader's uh, Star Destroyer comes in and and smashes a bunch of them, yeah. and uh, that was a yeah. that was a great moment, but but that's also it all made sense in the geography of it, and like I thought more of the ships were going to be okay because they use the same ship designs as what we see in Empire and Return of the Jedi, and so in my mind it's like it's the same ship that ship's gonna mm-hmm. be fine it's like nope it's just the same model yeah. <laughs> yeah. sorry sorry that thing just got cut in half that's not the medical frigate luke is gonna get right. on. like it just looks similar um, where's admiral akbar well he hasn't been promoted yet <laughs> yeah yeah cousins and, there, you though. know they didn't have a fight where they take out the death star but like having two star destroyers crash into each other that that was you know i'll take that get as pushed, a pushed into each other that was yeah, a, and yeah. sacrificing their own ship to do it in a suicide yeah. mission right yeah, yeah. that's and, what i want out of a space fight is me saying that was cool and those star destroyers crushing into each other then falling down loved it that was cool yeah I felt like they didn't necessarily need to connect every single dot to Star Wars and that when when they I I know they wanted that ending to hand the plans to Leia and have them go off but like you could have probably omitted a couple of steps and gotten the point that this is why we see what we see at the beginning of Star Wars but they decided no we are going to connect they every went all in on it. single <laughs> dot like literally Star Wars starts like less than an hour after this movie ends. I, I think that mostly works because what I wanted to see was Vader I want what I Vader storming towards them to get the plans because oh. he's been brought in oh. to get the job done, right? And I wanted to see those guys with the funny hats running. <laughs> yeah. And I, keeps and I like it keeps their neck warm. Yep. They, right. They, they, and, yeah. and I like that. I like that echo of the the echo of the you know the hallway scene at the uh, the opening of a new hope. Like they did the dark version oh, of that yeah. to see is it's great comparison because they are in so much more desperate set. as desperate things are in a new hope. Things are going on the upswing by that point because they've got the plans. They've been hidden in a droid. They can't find the plans. Like they're tearing the ship apart to find the plans, and they can't get them. And we know where they are. And they're incompetent people. Don't shoot uh, escape pods with no life forms on them, right? Yeah. You know. So things things are on the upswing in that movie. And this is a great downward spot. Now, do they ha- do we have to see Leia? No. I mean, it's nice to see it. Do we have to see? Does this have to be the actual ship that they <laughs> escape in? Probably not. But. I kind of like the fact that it, like, it literally, I, in my mind, like, the next scene is the first scene of A New Hope. I don't even think, like, in movie parlance, you don't need, there's no, there are no yeah. other scenes between this. Yeah. And and I like that because it leads right into it. I think it helps with the tone because the ending is so dark. We see yeah. all of our characters die. Darth Vader shows up and just slays, like, you know, eight, you know, Guys with eight funny hats. Re- rebellion red shirts. And it's, we need something to cling to and so i I'm, oh, yeah. i think they have to be kind of heavy-handed with yeah. like no we just killed all the main characters everything's gonna be okay they gotta give like, you a new hope we at the need end. to do that because like i think i think you can't kill off all the main characters and not give you that at the end mm-hmm. um, i want to see that actual ship leaving because what i want to feel like is that 
every single person involved in this mission. They have to show you that it was the win, even if it was at horrible costs. They, they, it was a win. I want to feel that they, they all sacrificed themselves to just let this one, like, they, what they leave behind is a half-destroyed planet, huge wreckage in orbit, dead, everybody is dead, and the one thing that squirts out of the system is that one little tiny ship, which is why at the beginning of New Hope, you get the giant you know, Empire Gray Triangle looming above this one tiny ship. And you're like, how can this one tiny ship, you know, it, this is what they're down to. They're down to the giant Empire chasing this one tiny ship that's getting blown up and boarded. Like, that's that's where you're coming from. So I need, I need to see something small and tiny leave behind the wreckage. And if it was like another ship that then met up with Princess Leia's ship and handed it off, it wouldn't be it, it, it wouldn't be the funnel that I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. I, again, I don't need to see Leia directly. I could have just seen the ship or whatever, or she could have been on screen for a second or only seen her behind. I don't need that. Somebody handing the disc to somebody named Captain Antilles or something like that, right? Right, but uh-huh. but I but I want to see that. I want to see a ship leave that wreckage, and I want that ship to be our new hope. I think a lot of people needed to see Leia. I mean, I feel like there are a lot of people who are confused about when this movie is set and why doesn't it have any of the characters from Force Awakens or from the other characters and like they they want to see Leia. Yeah. If they're not going to see Luke and Han in a movie, they, they need at least one of those three in there. And so maybe we are more okay with that, but I think for a lot of people they, that like that there's a huge payout for them uh, emotionally in seeing that. I do love the 70s sci-fi movie art direction that they got to bring back. It's all, you know, it it with mm-hmm. the uh the the cor- white corridors and the guys with the funny hats mm-hmm. and all of that it's like I love I love that Cassian's but, haircut yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> where none of the doors are just rectangles they're all weird trapezoid yeah. shapes mm-hmm. for no reason and, yep and they, and they break all the time mm-hmm. uh, although I'm gonna say like the funny hat guys like when the door jammed and they're trying to get out and Darth Vader's coming and they know they've got a problem I feel like they should have handed that data thing through the crack in the door Faster. a little bit sooner yeah. Like they, they oh were, yeah. It was almost like, you know, throw me the whip, you know, I'll throw you the idol kind of situation there. It's like, just give me the plans, dude. Like, face it, you're a goner. But I want to live! Right, they want to live. They're thinking maybe the door will open. It's like, door's not going to open. Yeah. Right? Just, just He's just going to kill everyone in the hallway. You just saw him kill all your pals. You're dead. Right. <laughs> if you made, I guess, the mistake of uh, closely analyzing the, uh, especially the teaser trailer as we did for this movie. Oh, yeah. Or watching them at all. Yeah, what you found is that like in the teaser trailer there's there's very little other than that scene where they blow up all the stormtroopers and stuff in that ambush. Um there's very little that actually seems to be connected to the movie we saw and I think the one that struck me the most is Jin that yeah. clearly the initial intent with Jin was to play up I think it's still in her character, right? We see her locked up. There's a suggestion that she's been kind of on the run and on her own for a while and that she's done some bad stuff. But in the final version, it's it's really kind of soft pedaled. Whereas in the uh, in the trailer, the implication was that she was you know she had been picked up and 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 handcuffed by the rebels essentially. Like maybe she is doing things that the rebels don't approve of, but they've got a mission for her. And I think that was really an interesting change to see outside of the actual text of the movie to see how they they obviously decided to kind of soften her character a little bit and have it make it more about her relationship with her father and trying to reconnect with him than her being kind of this cynical criminal who had to be recruited with her ragtag group of of rebels in order to solve the Death Star problem. If they didn't have to pick one or the other, she could have had that father relationship and also been the sort of maladjusted bad attitude like, i mean that's in the movie like the, the scene where she's rescued she's rescued from a prison ship and her reaction is to beat the hell out of the people rescuing her right. because she's like once i'm freed 
I also don't want to associate it with you rescuers. I am I'm on my own. I am my own person. I'm on my own. I watch out for myself. I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. Yes, you're setting me free, but my reaction is to immediately hit you in the face. Like that's the character that was in the trailer. And I know it's it's not good to like, you know, blame the movie for the trailers because the trailer is whatever it is, but honestly, this is the movie that has the most divergence from all the trailers. I only watched the teaser one, the one we talked about on this podcast. I intentionally didn't watch the other ones, and I'm so glad I didn't. But so much from all three of the trailers for this movie and all, like, is just, not only is it not in the movie, there's no equivalent in the movie. It's not as if they chose a different line reading or a different angle or got the same information out in a different scene. It is just plain not in the movie. And I don't really care, like, oh, they changed their mind about this or that. Because like I said, I like the outline of the movie. I like the idea of uh, of the overall plot. In the details, and what Jason was talking about, of like uh, of Jin not being quite as uh, as much of a uh, uh, you know a thorn in the side of the rebellion because she's just uncontrollable and you know more like Saw's group, like the the rebels that the rebels find annoying because they're just yeah she's too wild extreme she's she's, too she's wild and out of control that's what the from the right. teaser trailer that's what you get is she is a wild uncontrollable person that they have to deal with and they don't like it right and and that's briefly in the movie in different parts but in other parts it's not and i felt like if they had, again had you know stuck with that you could have had everything you could have had the father relationship you could have all that stuff you could have i don't i don't think they needed to worry about making her likable or making her a source of hope because i think they should have trusted the audience to understand that you know, I mean, you have to eventually get her to come around to the idea that the rebellion is a good idea. Fine, you have to do that. But it could have just been the only person who could get this job done was somebody who is is this extreme and this uncontrollable. And in the end, she's the only reason this worked. And I don't think you need to like, say, oh, but I didn't like her. She was too mean. I don't think that would have been an issue because we would have seen her sacrifice and her bravery and her leadership and all the other things that were in the movie. Um I, I wish they, had, you know, I don't know if they say I wish they'd stuck to their guns. I have no idea if that was ever in there, but the trailers made me think that she would be a different character than she was in the movie slightly. And I see half of that character. And it's like she fluctuates. She's the one from the trailer. Now she's not. Now she's the one from the trailer. Now she's not. And I think it, I think it weakened her overall. Yeah, I mean, we and we will never know what that other movie is before they, you know, they they reshot and they change the movie and 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 quite possibly for the better. Uh, we just don't we just don't know. But that's clearly something that changed. Yeah, I think they did. Like, if I had to guess, I, I would say that they probably did improve the movie because, I again, I like what happened in the movie. It's just in the details, like while it's happening, how is this person acting and what is their attitude towards it? And I think mm-hmm. it would just tweak it a little bit. And, you know, uh, and the same with the, all the different scenes, like they have scenes of her. Running all over the place with the Death Star plans. Well, well J- yeah, right? J- she's, Jin she's and Cassian are on the beach, and she's got the plans during the battle with the walkers, which suggests that in a previous draft of this that they shot some of, that they were going to get out of the building with the plans and, you know... And die elsewhere. And die elsewhere, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and like, and I feel... And what they replaced it with, like, I don't know why they changed things around, but what they replaced it with, her, her confrontation with Krennic on on the walkway no tie fighter to be found yeah. her confrontation there the way it's resolved eh, i mean like it's not bad like you know uh, you know cassian comes back and we thought he was dead but he's not and he, he you know like the two of them working together fine that it's all right but it's not as cool as a TIE fighter popping up, I can tell you that. Well, right? yeah. and, and Krennic <laughs> was down on the beach too in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no that, that, like, I felt that was like that to me was like the second most iconic thing from the trailer. It's the Ira Bell line, which isn't in it, and then him walking with his cape in the in the water. Yeah, and I, he looks like he, I mean he looks really badass there, and <laughs> yeah. especially in comparison to like 
his his first couple appearances where he's wearing that dippy hat that he eventually stops wearing. <laughs> I was like, that he's a, this is a different guy. Um, the guy the guy who's striding across a battlefield with with his not carrying it, his cape is getting soaked in the sand and water. Would not wear that hat. <laughs> so the end of Jin's story kind of doesn't make sense at this point. Uh, she she and. Andor are on top of the world's biggest tower. Yeah, radio they just tower. sent the thing. Do they then take the elevator downstairs and wander out to the beach? To they do because they have they have the time to do that, but they don't have the time to apparently get on a ship and fly away. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like the end of is it Deep Impact? Right, where it's exactly a, like Deep Impact. My favorite <laughs> scene my, has to sit down at the coast and wait for the wave to come in and kill them all. Yeah, I like that scene though. That's my favorite. I do. My yeah. only the I, only part I, I like Deep Impact yeah, is I know, the person I know. sitting there waiting for the tsunami to kill him, and I thought that was effective there, and I thought it was effective here, yeah. but. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of deep impact talk. And speaking of that, like the the Death Star, the idea of having the Death Star in some we know the Death Star is going to be in the movie, right? Having it here, but having it having it do like the low power version, yeah. one reactor for reasons that are not really that well explained. Of like, oh, it's new. We just want to test it a little bit or whatever. But I think that works so well because I'm so glad the Death Star wasn't just running around blowing up planets because you're like, wait a second, like wasn't Alderaan supposed to be the demonstration? Blah blah. blah. It's like, oh yeah, no, that was. We did these wimpy things for it, and the wimpy things are incredibly impressive. I think it makes right. for really good visuals, like. Blowing up one big planet and just having someone in the 70s do, set up a firecracker out on ILM and then deposit it on top of a picture of a movie. Like, that's one thing. But this, with modern effects, just blowing up a city and just the shockwave coming from and everything, yeah. incredibly destructive, established early on. You really feel like the kyber crystals and all that stuff, like that it was a significant, uh, you know... Uh, thing to blow up and then then you know what's coming in the in the climax you know what they're going to do and you, if you just had to blow up the whole planet it's not as much i'm gonna say not as much fun but it doesn't make for as much drama as just blowing up the city it lets there be survivors right i mean you have these people that see the city on jetta get blown up and some people get away and it's like those are people that will never you know that, that they are now they're no longer like well you know the empire is pretty bad but i don't know if i can do anything about it it's mm-hmm. like no Fear those keep people the local systems in line yeah, yeah i'm just glad or, or radicalize them basically yeah i'm just glad they actually had to source the television control panels to yeah. show the, pre- <laughs> the, the preparation again they did not change any of that except for shoot it again with better cameras and yeah i was wondering pleased. if if they actually reused the footage i kept looking at them like is that the exact footage or did they recreate it so perfectly that it with might have well be and everything yeah this sort of takes us back to to references to the larger universe but the fact that we have this stuff set on jedda uh you know this is the this is the original jedi temple basically like the names are connected the the jedi from jedda this is all connected um and i like that i like um the uh the mention of the kyber crystals i like the idea that there are um there are force you know force monks force believers who are not jedi but they're like the guardians of yes. the temple and stuff i thought yeah. that was really cool that's yeah. where we see that's mm-hmm. donnie yen oh, that dude's cool who is super cool right and, and but i also like that he is praying with the force and that's like he, he's a force monk kind of you know, not a Jedi, but he is a force believing in the Jedi kind of tradition or religious order. He's sort of like all that's left, and it's and there's that shot of the the desert with the with a giant statue, like Lord of the Rings style statue, except it's laying, you know, it's down in the desert with dust all over it. Like all of all of that was cool, just to give you again that sense, like the Jedi used to be something big, but something really bad happened, and now they're just sort of fading away into history and being suppressed by the Empire. Um, 
much more of the vibe that you get from Han Solo saying, oh, you know, I don't believe that stuff about those ancient religions and stuff like that. I think that's cool. Or, well, I've just merged two different things together there because it's the Empire guy who says Vader has a stupid ancient religion. And I, I got there. I got there, Star Wars nerds. Calm down. But you get my point. Mm-hmm. Like in Star Wars, the Jedi oh, yeah. seems like old and and people don't even believe that it was real. And then in the prequels, like there are Je- you bump into a Jedi on almost every corner. And this mm-hmm. restored that kind of mystical, weird, mysterious aspect to them in a cool way. I thought that was good. And Donnie Yen is great. Even our Force monk, uh, even Donnie Yen was like, he wasn't just, uh, I have the Force and I'm super confident. You could tell his faith was shaken too. Shaken by the fact that the Empire has taken over, shaken by like that he knows he's not a Jedi. So half the time he's trying to convince himself that, you know, the Force is with him. Right. He constantly repeats in his little thing. Like Mm -hmm. he, he seems... He seems uncertain. Like like everyone in this movie, they're they're put upon by the Empire. They're not they're not confident in their place and things that they once that once hung their hat on are now everything everything's up for grabs. And when they blow up the whole city, it's just like that, that all they had left was like they used to be guarding the temple, now there's nothing of the guard because they've looted all the kyber crystals, which apparently power the Death Star. Um, and they're they're just so so downtrodden and like to see him try to buck himself up and to use what little force sensitivity he has to to get things done and to eventually be motivated to sacrifice themselves like all the little bits and pieces are there for us to every character in this movie has an explicable motivation that is at the very least hinted at in the movie. I don't think they do a good job of nailing all of them down, but there is, there's enough there for you to hang your head cannon on for every single one of them. Even Absolutely. like, you know, from the Imperial pilot to the, you know, the, the other random people like, but I, I wish, I wish they had picked like seven of them and like, you know, they had enough lines. They had enough time to do it in the movie. They just didn't quite nail it. And a lot of that could have been re-editing and, and making a lot of the characters spend a lot of time doing exposition to explain what needs to get to where. Um, that was time that could have been better spent telling us like it's, you know, it's hinted at that this is this character's motivation. Give me, give me two lines or an exchange and a look that that really nails that down so I don't have to invent it all myself. I want to know more about mm-hmm. Chirrut and Bays, and if I have to have a whole other movie to do that, I'd be happy with that. Oh, my God. Those guys look like they have fun. <laughs> I really enjoyed reading the novelization for Rogue One because it gave me, like, oh, I want to know more about these characters, but clearly it's impossible to give fleshed-out backstories for 14 characters in a two-and-a-half-hour <laughs> movie. Uh, and I appreciated that that is available to those who want it. I'd imagine there will be some really interesting um, ancillary media in the future about these characters, about what led them to this movie, I would think. Mm-hmm. Right? I think so. I would, I mean, now that the Guardians of the Wills are canon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, That's a fun one. It's cool. It's cool. I like that a lot. I like that whole, the whole feel of that. It, it restores... It's like John said about Darth Vader is like whatever happened in the prequels. It's like that all feels like the force and the Jedi and stuff like that felt like in Star Wars. Right. Like that, that is the feeling that Rogue One gives us. And that's I mean, we've been talking about this a lot, but I mean, that's this is this this takes place right before literally right before star wars starts this is a period piece but it is matching the period in the star wars lore of of the original film of star wars and um that's it's kind of delightful to be able to to play in that uh in that period it's not like the prequels which were sent 
set, you know, decades, you know, decade or two beforehand. This is right up against, hard up against a movie that we all know so well. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, that, that, that it's pretty great. One thing that I wanted to mention is lots of settings. We talked about the labels earlier. Yeah. Um, it, it seemed like there were maybe maybe there was too much, or maybe it was just that there were labels and stuff like that. The the rainy planet. I think there were maybe a few too much, or maybe it was that they didn't need. Maybe it felt more because they were named right. Right. I, I, that was like I mean, Rings of Kefreen, where he he shoot where uh, Cassian shoots his 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 uh, contact there to get For away, me, and then yeah. we never go never back. Go back. Right. I mean, uh, hey, fog's the, expensive. The Erso's <laughs> live on, you know, <laughs> live on Laru, which will never go back. Yeah. To, uh, you know, it's, I forget the name of the Rady planet, um, but it's it's a lot, right? Because I mean, it's Jeddah, Yavin, and Scarif for the big places, but it's like we're also going to check in on four or five other little places. Yeah. So the Rainy Planet, um, that was actually a thing that I felt like I I don't know whether that was again it's in my head now about like that they did the reshoots and that the trailer doesn't really match the movie, but like the Rainy Planet, something about it sort of set me off. And it's not that it wasn't good stuff, but I felt like it felt like weird structurally, like. Um, I felt like the movie wanted to jump from um, from uh, Jeddah to um, the to the base to the whatever the name of that other planet is the beach planet, uh, um, and and it didn't right. And instead, we had this like side mission, which was to the the like we we know where the plans are. But we're not going to where the plans are because instead we're going to go kill Galen Urso. And thankfully, the main bad guy will also be there while we're doing our side missions to make it feel like it's connected to the plot. It, yeah, well, it's, I mean, you know. it was connected because the 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 what's mm-hmm. his name Krennic was there to like because he got reprimanded for something going wrong mm-hmm. and he's going to go to his underling and you know Krennic have... logs a lot of miles in this. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got it. he's got it. it's rolling downhill and he's going to set things straight over there. Like you have to have some place for her father to die. And mm-hmm. so I don't know where else you would you would shoot this because this is where he is apparently. And so have them both converge. Apparently, on that. I think the thing that they should emphasize more is that uh, I said it before, but they don't really they don't really put a pin on it in the movie that the rebels are obsessed with killing Galen because they think he is essential for building this weapon. But their intelligence is, is really old. They've already built it's it's done. Like so, the their obsession with done, killing. Yeah. Yeah, their obsession with killing Galen is just because they have crappy intelligence. And so the whole mission he's sent on, like. You know, the, the, his first of all, the chain of command is terrible because the guy whispers to him, "I know you're on this mission, but by the way, you see, you see, Galen, just kill him. I'm giving, I'm giving this unilateral order. I guess he's a, he's part of that sub faction, so he'll take that order from him. Despite the fact that in the room, this wasn't what was agreed upon as the plan. They have they have real command and control problems in the rebellion. Um, and, but but yeah, it's but a it's, big it's, it's, <laughs> it's totally pointless because and it's pointless because they just don't know, which is fine. Like I think that that is a that that's a realistic depiction of a rebellion that has bad intelligence, right? But it should be clear d- to the audience more during the mission that oh, and by the way, we both know that their mission that this is this is a foolish mission anyway, and I think that would add an extra aspect to him deciding whether he's going to fire. Like he he's got to he's got to decide whether he wants to do it, but also we the audience should know. And by the way, it doesn't matter, which we kind of do know, but they don't they don't put a pin in. So I feel like there's there's a lot of things in the plot that. I think if I watched with a non-obsessed Star Wars nerd, I would have to explain afterwards just how the basics of the plot fit together because it's kind of all over the place. And you really you really have to be the kind of person who is trying to stitch it together to 
make it coherent. Like the thread is there. You can see the through line, but it just it just doesn't snap together that well. Yeah. I'm not sure the trip to Rainy Planet is necessary from a plot standpoint at all. Well, how do you kill but Galen? But it's necessary for, well, but it's necessary because you don't need to kill Galen. I think it's necessary oh, for a character, wait for it, John, from a character standpoint to have those scenes. And I understand why they're there because it informs the relationship between Jin and Cassian. It, it allows us to see Galen Erso and for him to have a last moment with his daughter. We get to see Krennic's relationship with Galen and how frustrated that is, uh, you know, and how he knows now that he's been betrayed and it draws a, a dotted line all the way back to the first scene of the movie. All of those reasons are there. I just... You know, and yet part of me is thinking, I'm not quite sure why they aren't just going to get the plans now. And, you know, it's because the movie needs our characters to have good character stuff. So we have to make a stop for for character well, stuff. But it's, the, it's the wrong-headed mission to kill. Whoever his director, whoever yeah. the guy was who whispers to him before he gets on, it that's his... He thinks he's doing the right thing because he says, this is what we... Forget about what they're saying. They think we have to get the plans. That's all a pipe dream. We need to kill this guy because if we don't kill this guy, they're going to build the super weapon, which is wrong, but they don't know it. But that's that's the futility of their mission. And that's that I think that fits into his like following orders type of thing that it should be further emphasized that he is blindly following orders. And in this case, we, the audience, know these orders are stupid. And like Jason said, they should just go get those. plans. we know that because we know how the next movie goes and we know they should be getting the plans. Um, but if you know, I, I think that would fit better if they really emphasize the idea that they really emphasize the futility of, of this mission and that would make us feel better when, when things circle back around and they finally go on the mission that we know they need to go on. Um, and if you have to have all those character moments happen, I'm not sure where you'd get all those characters to come together if not in a in a, in a third location. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I really like the uh, X-Wings flying through uh, rainy valleys at night. So I give yeah. them a lot, of, uh, a lot of leeway. Again, not a, not a, not a plot reason, just cool. <laughs> Well, but Lazy, you have to kill him, right? So that's the plot. Plot reason is kill him. You got to get him off the table. He can't be alive at the end of the movie for some reunion. That's or whatever. not a plot you have reason. To kill him. That's not a plot I mean, reason. Could that's he have been a scarab or something? Yeah, he, he could have been. You know. Well, no. The simple reason is he could have been on the Death Star. Eh. Yeah, but he. Well, but the thing is, it's or yeah. scarab. It, he's a loose. I'm okay with him already being killed. Like I would have been okay with Krennic or Tarkin did. or somebody yeah. killing him because right. Uh, because he leaked the pilot or something like that. But you have to have you know? Endor choose not to kill him. That's yeah. I think yeah. I'm coming around on it. Actually, yeah. I was down on it, reasons. and I feel like now hearing 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 you talk about it, they need the you know I, I refer to it as a side mission, but it's like they need the little mission where they come together. Uh, I mean, because just escaping Jeddah apparently that's not enough. They need to be they need to be a team. They need to be forged uh, yes. in, in the fire of this little mini mission before they can feel committed to go on the but, big real. Yeah, there's many mission where they also don't work together as a team. Yeah, because, like you stay at the ship, mm-hmm. but she disobeys, and she like that's how they have yeah. to come together. I'm gonna park the ship. Everybody stay here. I'll be back, and everybody <laughs> leaves the ship. <laughs> One and yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what she did when her you know. It's it's her family thing. In the first scene in the movie, it's like, okay, you stay here. The mom doesn't stay, and neither does the daughter. Like nope. it's, a, it's yeah. the family. They don't follow. They're not good with instructions. Yeah. They tell them to just stay put. But that's what brings them together. Like eventually, that the, you know that that all goes disastrously wrong. Uh, n- what nobody wants to happen is what happens. Like he was supposed to go there to kill Galen, and he chooses not to. But then Galen gets killed anyway. anyway. So Jin said that, that her dad was killed, and like it just it all goes to crap. But out of that comes their understanding that they're going to work together, and their their plan on Scarif. I thought 
was a pretty good plan. Explain, yeah. perhaps a little laboriously, but executed well. And again, geography-wise, you could see with their little, you know, make 10 men seem like 100. You could, and, and seeing, it's fun to see Krennic getting yeah. flustered when, uh-huh. when like, yeah. it looks out the window and it does look like they're in a bad situation. We know it's just these all guys, these guys you know, they had, they had a good plan. They executed it pretty well. It killed all of them, you know. Alert but, the garrison. It, 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 it's, right. it's, um, all of that is good. If I had, um, if I had any gentle complaint about the stuff on Scarif, because I do think that it is really executed pretty well, is that I kind of was hoping that the databank thing would have been a little more heisty than it was yeah that the 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 distraction outside was great but on the inside it, it, it there wasn't a whole lot of excitement they sort of like go into a room and and their droid plunges at a computer and they figure it out and i i was kind of hoping that they would have some more like razzle dazzle you thought there'd be some vents yeah. you wanted to see people walking through climbing through vents yeah that's what we're looking i don't for. know or, or they, a thing a gadget they have to do that does a thing that doesn't is it a thing? heist without a vent yeah it's the first movie heist i've ever seen where the distraction actually works perfectly <laughs> yeah that's yeah. true fair point all of the guards <laughs> run out of the building immediately mm-hmm. mission accomplished that was the great thing about their plan they knew that they would come out and so by the time they kind of run out Every single person in their in their sort of distraction team is waiting with their guns pointed at yeah. the one door that's going to yeah. open. They're no they're nowhere else to be found. It was all just time charges. I did laugh at the uh, there's a scene where they he asked the pilot to go um, connect them to the transmitter and he gets the cord and the cord's too short and he runs mm-hmm. and kind of like goes boing and gets hit by. It's like yeah. You know, cords, they're never long enough. He got his brain sucked out by a magic octopus. He's still not yeah. entirely. <laughs> that was another That's thing true. that was confusing. I, I think like, I block you, out the yeah. magic octopus. It, it usually drives people mad. Just, uh, it was unnecessary. Yeah. Is that to explain yeah. that he's, he's kind of wacky? Because he wasn't that wacky. Well, no, I think, honestly, I think it was it was a shorthand wave to show that Saw Guerrero means business and is nah. paranoid and, you know, hardliner. But I feel like we get the hard, we get it from his, his operatives, you know, bombing people in the marketplace. I don't think we need to see him being crazy and hyper paranoid because it doesn't serve the story in any way. Yeah. Well, you would have to change. What I thought was going to happen is that that character, the Imperial pilot, whatever his name is, that Boy. after his experience with the tentacle thing and being sort of catatonic in the thing, that for the rest of the movie would be a character who seems not right in the head for the yeah. whole rest of the movie. But he wasn't. But he, he came out yeah. of it and and was the character that he was before. So if you're going to do that, what's the point? Like that could be a valid way to go. That he is he is the member of your team who you're not quite sure is got it all together. And is not particularly reliable, but every once in a while, like his competence shines through. Like that's that's a good character to do. They didn't do that, and so if you're not going to do that, I don't need to see the Tentacle Beast. They didn't do it well, but I think he is also like he is the he's the de- defector from the Imperial, right? Like he is somebody who had bought into the Empire and has mm-hmm. has changed he's, his mind. He's atoning for something, that and we so don't he know gets to be that. Screen. I mean, I think. That didn't get played up really at all. I mean, there's a the little bit where you know he gets kind of uh, beat up by Sakurara's group when he is thinks he's defecting, and they talk about we captured him. He's like, no, I came to you. Um, but it, it gets it gets lost in the uh, in the shuffle because it, it it felt like 
there's a version of this where it's like, we want to show you the different like flavors of who ends up in the rebellion, right? Uh, you know, Jin, who saw her parents get killed by the Empire, basically, and, uh, you know, these, this, this monk and, uh, these other assassins and whatnot, and then this person who was actually like an Imperial and has defected. But it gets that there's not time to tell that yeah. story. Well, the thing is, they spend a lot of time on it. That's why I keep going back to Civil War. Like, the amount of time he gets, the number of lines he gets, the scenes he gets, the things he does, it's plenty of time to establish all this. They, the, but they they spend their 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 feet of you know footage as if they have more time than they do they have a they they give so much time of his capture and the whole thing or whatever we need one eighth of that to understand it same thing with the tentacle piece like you can establish that point without the luxury of these long drawn out scenes which again many of them are beautifully shot but but then you would then after they spent all that footage now you don't have time now you've spent all your time there was plenty of time there you need a Bodie Rook origin story movie where we see him working as a shuttle pilot and finding out how awful his boss is. What <laughs> so, I got out of it, here's what I, yeah. here's my headcanon for this, as hinted at by a few lines here and there, because this is all I've got to go on in the movie, is that he, uh, Galen befriended him, and yeah. this pilot started to confide in Galen that he wasn't feeling so good about some of the things that he'd done, and because we know Galen is secretly against the Empire the whole time he's there, was a sympathetic ear, and eventually, like... They came together and realized, you know, like the Galen, not that the Galen turned him, but that he was, he recruited him to, to defect essentially by being the, the shoulder to cry on and the person to listen to about his problems and eventually was convinced to help him in his mission. And that's, that's the story of this person that he is, he's making up for his sins of the past. And that's, that's my headcanon for what, why did he change his mind? Why did he uh, defect? It's hard when it's like, what are his sins though? Because we like he's a he's a bus driver in space. Flying. Yeah, but the bus Imperial bus drivers are killing people all the time. Too. He's not like an assassin. Evil buses. They were evil buses, Tony. I saw they were spooky, full of evil people. Spooky buses. Yeah, I mean, even if he's just shipping things off of the planet where you know the people are being oppressed or killed, or if they went, you know, before we take all these crystals out of here, can someone go through here and kill all these Jedi? Like, and then you're just waiting in the bus idling for the to load up the crystals. You still feel like, and they're killing the you know everybody in the in the town, like. It is. There is this nice thing where it's like we literally take the things that power the Jedi's lightsabers and use them to build this weapon that we will destroy the Jedi Temple with. Yeah, although know. it uses them as fuel, not as a like using them as fuel. Like yeah. that's a totally an imperial thing to do. Like that's so wasteful. Like they don't they don't get used up in the lightsabers. They just sit there. But you're going to use it. Like I can picture them grinding them up into yeah. like this this paste and then just putting it into these big vats and like you <laughs> fire it once and they all empty and it's like well more kyber crystals. They're focusing crystals. They're not they're not um, fuel. That's it's a a giant focusing crystal that they're trying to like meld kybers together and make it mm-hmm. i don't know it's, it's horrible for the environment though in the movie they said it was fuel which didn't make sense to me i'm glad that the novelization clarified this as well just imagine trying to place a lightsaber except now make the crystal 300 times bigger um and try to make it fire a weapon yeah, yeah the, the more i think about galen start like i i like that actor and are you mad about mads john mad about mads yeah. oh he's so yeah <laughs> i am mad about mads god i love Hannibal. reference acknowledged the fact that he realized that, that his realization is that he he was smart enough to know before they did that they can accomplish it without him that he knows they're going to do it anyway and that's why he has to go back I thought that was all all very clever and so well done. And they, they did spend a lot of time on that. And I think that was mostly like the whole beginning of the movie spools out a little bit slowly in, in the kind of the same way they're trying to establish uh, Jin's backstory in the same way that they establish Ray by letting us see her, what a uh, day in the life is like to, to get to know who she was and establishing Galen. And in that respect, it's kind of disappointing that we don't get to see Galen again until 
his death scene and then one flashback yeah. because I think he w- is a really interesting uh, character. Um, they just don't have time. There's so many characters. It, there is too much. Well, that's why I wish that he had been somewhere like on the Death Star because I think that that seeing yeah. him interact sort of like at the workplace and not just off in the brainy place where they keep scientists, that uh, <laughs> that might have been a more interesting way to see sort of what he was up to. But alas, we don't get to... That's not what we get to see. I like the fact that he killed all the he killed his whole team of scientists yeah. just because he was angry. Like he didn't need to kill them. It wasn't a lesson for anybody. He just he didn't want to kill his friend and he needed to to get his anger out of his system and they were they were done with these scientists anyway. So I'm really impressed that they got that new da- Death Star in time for Jedi when they <laughs> killed all the engineers <laughs> and blew up the base that had the, the, the plans, plans in it. yeah. Well, they had the I bet the bug planet guys still have some backups. We should have gone there instead of the heavily defended library beach planet then. Let's not go back there please no <laughs> there's no returning to the to anything from the prequels they would have to play that mario level again with the conveyor belt <laughs> <laughs> all right uh we'll go around one last time and i'm i'm interested in uh hearing from all of you the uh thing you liked the most about rogue one serenity i appreciate that it was a film that wasn't afraid in terms of the drastic nature of the rebellion um especially in context with some real world events, um, it's like watching watching the scenes of Jetta so soon after the final sort of showdowns going on in Aleppo right now had a very realistic feel about uh, civil factions warring, um, as did some of the other battles and I calling to mind guerrilla warfare. And it's it's interesting to see a film that I you know, or a film series that I normally think of as escapism really kind of dive into playing with not just, you know, very real subjects, but pulling them off effectively. And while I completely agree that like little bits of this film didn't work, I think the core message uh, comes through very effectively and they they picked some damn good actors to make it work. Monty, what about you? Like Ren, what I liked was the stakes, specifically that they were actually willing in what is basically a kids movie franchise to kill everybody. Yeah. And not just kill them off screen, show each of the main characters who we have come to like and ideally love just die in front of us. <laughs> That was such a big move for me. I, I feel like I had this like emotional arc when like, you know, K2 dies and I was like, oh, that's sad. But I feel like this is kind of the cop out is you're going to have the robot get killed and then maybe he'll be okay later because he's a robot. And then when uh, Bodhi dies, when the, the their dropship that they're going to escape in blows up, it's like, oh, maybe none of them are getting out of this, right? And and then and then seeing that realized, uh, I was not I was not prepared for that, I guess, or expecting that, and that was that was really affecting. There's a moment when they what is it, when the shield goes up, where mm-hmm. I think in the tower. Uh, Jin and Cassian are talking and, and said, you know, what does that mean? And it's basically like, we're not getting out of here. And I thought they're all going to die. That's it. Like, I thought they probably were all going to die. Or mo- I, I think I thought most of them were going to die. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, no, that's it. The, this this is they're all going to die. I thought they wanted you to think that. And then there'd still there'd be some friendly dropship waiting for them <laughs> when they, you know, when they were resigned to, you know, I mean, kind of like, like where, a Jedi. you know, she's on the she's on the, the on the on the catwalk and and it looks like Krennic is going to get her. And Cassian shows up, even though we thought for sure he was dead. <laughs> Somebody else is going to pull up in their dropship and be like, need a ride. And it's like, no, those people are dead. He was laying on a metal rack. That means he's dead. 
What do you mean? He's laying down. <laughs> it sounded like he hit a lot of things. <laughs> Tony, do you have a uh, favorite thing? Uh, you know, I just like that this was a war movie set in the Star Wars universe, and it had a lot of the things, the feels that I really like from Clone Wars uh, and, and Rebels, uh, which are shows that I enjoy. Um, I mean, Clone Wars is a little bit sometimes more hit or miss. There's parts of Clone Wars I do not care for. Uh, Rebels, I'm pretty <laughs> much Jar Jar all in, in on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of my friends put together a really great watch list that I think uh, spares you all, but w- there's one Jar Jar episode that's like important to the meta plot, uh, and it's in there. And it's just, but like, there's a lot of Jar Jar that that, that person left off the list. Uh, uh because yeah, th- this this had a lot of the the things that I like about that about seeing what the rebellions like and what life is like in this universe and you know uh, what things are like when there's not a Jedi on every street corner, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, warning you about the the dangers of death sticks. Um, They're just looking out for your health. Yeah, John, what about you? Monty kind of stole mine. <laughs> and, uh, I I like movies that are gritty and desperate, and the characters in them are just like one bad thing happens after another and they're fighting the good fight but at every turn they're thwarted and things go badly and just keep going badly i mean it's it's one of the reasons i like empire because that happens to our heroes for basically the whole movie every one of their victories leads to an even larger defeat uh and because a new hope follows this i wanted this movie to be like why do you need a new hope because Everything went to crap in this movie. And the only thing you have, the one glimmer of hope that you have at the end of this is that, you know, everything went about as badly as it, as it can be, except that technically we did accomplish our mission at tremendous cost. And I wanted to see that cost up on the screen and I wanted to feel it so that I could feel hopeful for the lead into A New Hope. Uh, and that was definitely my favorite thing about this movie. But because Monty stole it, I'm going to have a second one, which I mentioned before. <laughs> I really, I really liked how... This movie was shot. I really, I really liked how the 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 human actors looked in the play in the sets where they were. Whether it was with a fake CG thing through a spaceship window behind them, or on a real beach, or on a sound stage with a rain machine above them, I don't care where they are, whatever how they did it. I thought all the scenes looked beautiful. The the actors looked beautiful in the scenes, so much better than the lines they were delivering and the plot points that they were just missing off center. And so when I think about this movie in my head, I see it as, as pictures and as a feeling. Uh, and the more I get down to the details, the more I start to think about things that I might've uh, switched around. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's my, that's my backup favorite pick. If this is a draft for favorite right. things, it's not a draft. You get, you get both, but well played anyway. Um, talk about the one that you're not picking. That's always a good way to, to proceed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Time tested. What I'm going to say is my favorite. I mean, I said it earlier. I'm just going to repeat it, which is K2SO. That is a funny droid. And it's a funny droid in a weird, sarcastic, dark <laughs> There's way. a lot of uh, HK4, HK47 mixed in there. It's a fan favorite from the extended universe. Yeah, it's it's good. I like, I like, uh, I like that character a lot and that he's fast and he bops people on the head and he's not going to kill you because <laughs> he was told not to he doesn't have an inner monologue his inner monologue yeah. is external that's the better way of phrasing it they took out his filter when they reprogrammed him he's he's an imperial droid so he's he's kind of evil but he's been programmed not to be evil but he's still kind of unpleasant and it's great so that's a thumbs up and i like i like the the, the design of that character too so uh yeah all right well rogue one it's a star wars movie everybody we we, we are sorry star wars story 
told in movie form. <laughs> I, uh, nice. I I suspect that a small team of rebels striking from a hidden base may have another episode of The Incomparable to say about this at a later time. Uh, perhaps more than one. I don't even know. But uh, I feel good about having a, a couple of hours to chat about uh, about Rogue One the day after with uh, with with you all. So it's been uh, it's been good. Let me thank my guests before we go. Monty Ashley, thanks for being here. Uh, uh, the force is with me. Yes, I think I, I have to say I was waiting for the moment where uh, where Donnie Yen becomes a force ghost at the end magically. I was like, yes, right. What? Your prayers <laughs> if were anyone answered. Gets to be a force ghost, this guy does. Yeah. Alas. You won't shut up about the force. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Serenity Caldwell, thank you so much. Absolutely. Glad to be here. I don't have a good quote. That's fine. The force will be with you always. Tony Sindelar, thank you for being here, too. I'm one with the force. You are. And John <laughs> Syracuse, thank you. I can't wait to find out who built the flaw into the second Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> that one's just They're working on the same plans. It turns out when you kill off two generations of all your super scientists and engineers, you're left with... Uh, <laughs> they just blindly <laughs> follow the plans the, the of the C first students, one. The C students from Imperial University. <laughs> just, they never just, unfolded the blueprints to see that they should have built an entire sphere. <laughs> and thanks to everybody again for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. I'm sure there will be more about Rogue One in the days to come. But for now, I thank you. Good night. <laughs>